All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, baby, you thought they were done after two periods of play, and then they got to work on the power play. What a game. What a game that was. We're here to break it all down. As the Canucks head into their little bye week that turns into the all-star break, busy, busy show on today's edition of Canucks Conversation. My name is Dick Wajali. That is Harmon Dial. Our technical producer is Grady Sass. And our intern for one more week is Lachlan Irvin, today is not the all-star draft show although we were talking a lot about it right before we went to air uh, but we have two two our show's too busy to get to the all-star draft today we're going to do it at tomorrow as originally planned but we need to tell you that today's episode of canucks conversation is brought to you by hsbc world rugby sevens that is western canada's largest sporting event and this year is the ninth time the event has visited vancouver as part of the world rugby seven series from February 23rd to 25th, grab your friends and your best costume and head on down to BC Place to catch 12 women's and 12 men's sevens teams, including, including two Canadian squads, take to the pitch for three full days of jam-packed rugby and partying. Tickets on sale now at vansevens.com starting from just $40 per day. And if you want to go, it's another week, which means we've got another four-pack of tickets to give away for the entire weekend. Text hashtag sevens, that's S-E-V-E-N-S to 778 402-9680 for your chance to win. We will be giving away a four-pack each week until the event. Text hashtag sevens to 778-402-9680. I'm out of breath. Like, yeah, I was gonna say that there's I, I love uh, when you have energy, but that's pretty overpowering on a Monday afternoon. Whew, yeah, my chest hurts after that one. I'm fine, folks. I know I'm fine, but that was uh 
Uh, that took a little bit out of me there. I was uh, I was going. I was going just like I'll be going when I've got Tate McRae over my shoulder tomorrow uh, drafting my all-star roster. I, I'm going to try not to talk about the all-star roster thing, but we're doing that on tomorrow's show. I'm just very excited about it. Yeah. I think it's going to be a very fun exercise. And if you didn't catch Friday's show, folks, what we're going to do, we're only doing a show today and Tuesday this week. So for tomorrow's show, me, Harmon, Grady, and Lachlan – are going to four people, four captains. We're going to draft our teams of uh, of all stars and see who comes out with the best all star roster. And I already called Tate McRae, which makes me Nathan McKin- Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, and you also get Kill McCarr. So I'm going to make sure to get Tom Wilson at some point in the draft. And his only job, he's not going to see the ice for regular shifts. His only job is going to be to take out Kale McCarr. <sighs> You wouldn't. We're gonna, I would. I'm going to John Tortorella, Bob Hartley. <laughs> in the, in the, uh, in there. Well, I've got Rick Tockett as my coach. Rick Tockett is your coach. That's, uh, never mind. I take it back. That was the thing. No, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I just, we know that, yeah, I'm going to do it. We know that the Canucks coaching staff would mop the floor with any other coaching staff in the NHL. Like if there was like a three-on-three coaching staff tournament, the Canucks would oh, just yeah. mop. Who, who is the second best coaching staff in the NHL? Think about that for a second. Like, think about if there's a three-on-three tournament at the All-Star Game, which they should absolutely do, where they make the coaching staff suit up. Montreal would be up there. They got Marty St. Louis and Alex Burroughs. Okay, yeah. Burroughs is probably the youngest of all of them that we're bringing up. I mean, even St. Louis is not that far removed from the NHL. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but they don't have Adam Foote. They don't have Adam Foote patrolling the blue line. Might be too slow. Come on. Do you think he, but you got to think about how young Burroughs and St. Louis are. Yeah, you're right. Foot is a little bit older now, but I don't know, man. I guess it's it turning 60 closer. in April. I know. It always blows me away. He does not I look know. 60. Pretty nuts. All right. We're not going to keep uh, <laughs> fawning over the Canucks head coach on this edition of Canucks Combo. Uh, we're here to break down the Canucks wagon. Rolling into the break. They don't play again until February 6th, Harmon. That game is in Carolina. They're going to practice on Monday the 5th is what it looks like uh, in Raleigh. So we'll probably have some coverage of that practice. But that'll be our first show back after tomorrow's show. Uh, We're taking a little break ourselves. But the Canucks wagon rolling into the break with a 5-4 overtime victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Besser's hat trick gets him to 30 goals on the season. Let's start there. Let's start there. Um, we'll break down the game as a whole, but Besser getting that hat trick. How happy are you for Brock Besser? It's it's unbelievable. And it felt like the last month or so was maybe slow to get to 30. And you're just hoping that he could get to it sooner rather than later because the longer it goes on, I mean, with how unlucky Besser has been at points in his uh, points in his career, Injury wise, you're just like, just please let him get to 30 hockey gods. And for it to happen in this type of way, King back this type of comeback heading into the bye week and all-star break where he's going to be joining his Canucks teammates. It's, it's a special story. And to see the impact he's had on the power play uh, as well has been phenomenal. I think it's a big reason why, the loss of Horvat hasn't been as prevalent. I, I think there's still been experimentation in terms of finding that uh, perfect bumper option. They've experimented obviously with Pia Suter in recent times, but Besser's evolution and being successful, whether it's been at times earlier in the season in the bumper or more recently at the net front area, especially with Andre Kuzmenko slumping, it's a big reason why the power play still more or less maintain its, maintained its form because 
can't remember the exact number because Mako either had 14 or 17 power play goals last year. It was one one of one or the other, and he th- and I think he only has three this year. So mm-hmm. his power play production falling off a cliff, plus the loss of Horvat, this man advantage would probably be in a little bit of trouble if Besser isn't having the year he's having right now. Yeah, 14 power play goals for Andre Kuzmenko last year. And like you said, three this year. Brock Besser's been getting into the guts of the ice quite a bit. That's something that JT Miller highlighted post-game as well when he talked about how he's evolved. And this is something we've broken down. I know Tyson Cole did a big article on it over at Canucks Army, but you just go look at his NHL edge page and you look back at past years and where his shot location is. All mo- Most of Besser's goals are coming from that middle of the ice. And that's just almost like an untapped market for him in past years where he's getting right to the middle of the ice. He's got the hands to finish off a lot of those chances. And of course he's got the shot in tight um, to beat goaltenders. And we're seeing it right now. We've seen it all season long, but for him to have 30 before the all-star break, of course I took a bunch of victory laps as I would um, for the prediction I made in August that I said Besser would score 30 goals. I was getting accused of, Oh, you're just you're just running out of ideas. You're just trying to farm clicks at Canucks Army. And while all of that is true, I I really did think Besser was gonna score 30 this year. And again, a lot of it just had to do with you know knowing the switch in training. Um the I don't want to say newfound love of the game because we know all of the things that he had to deal with off the ice, so I don't want to paint it as that, but the the new focus on not only playing well, but playing well for the Canucks and playing well for Rick Tockett. Like we obviously saw him um, go to management at the end of last season and say, Hey, this is a place I want to be. I don't want to be traded. I want to stay here. When a guy does that, it just kind of tells you that, okay, he's hungry. He wants to come back and be a better player next year than he was this past. And then last year. And that's what we're seeing. I, I think he's, he's changed his game for the better. And again, it's not a matter of rookie Brock is back. It's a matter of, wow, look at how much this player has changed and adapted his game and become a really a, a great all-around winger. Yeah, he's a totally different player in terms of the net front skills he's added to his game since he first entered the league. The other thing that stands out, I think his teammates had a lot of respect for the work Brock put in with, with some of the things you highlighted. Finding a new trainer that uh, talk it new, the change in mindset heading into the season because I remember when Bester scored four goals in opening night and Quinn Hughes was just raving about the work Bester had put in in the summer and how they they just had a feeling that this was going to be his year to to put it together and how glad they were how happy for him they they were to finally sort of get back on track I think it wasn't just Bester had this great summer in isolation. I think his teammates definitely took notice of that. And the organization as an extension definitely would have, um, would have noticed as well. And I'm sure that's part of the calculus that went, went into the Canucks keeping him heading into this season. BC buds in the chat said he did it for Duke. Yeah. Of course. Like, yeah, you, uh, Again, we've highlighted so many times all the things that Brock Bester's been through, uh, and that's the real theme of all of this, is that we knew he had the 30-goal potential. He took the scenic route to get there, but he got there, and you're very happy for Brock Bester, the person um, for hitting this career milestone that's been on his mind for quite some time. And, of course, he quite infamously now called it last year. He said, this is the year I'm scoring 30, and then this year, 
no comment. I'm not telling you anything. So we'll see. What, what does Brock Besser finish the year with before we continue to break down this game? Thatcher Demko says he hopes he hits 50. Nah, 50 might be a stretch. Well, whatever. Next prediction. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think... I think he could touch 40. I think he could touch for sure. Yeah. That would just be, what, 10 more in how many more. games? Uh, thir- No, more than 30. Yeah, he'll... I think he'll hit. How many games left? What are they at? I mean, they're probably roughly at fifty. At forty nine. Forty nine. They got forty nine games to go, Grady. No, they. No. Oh, they've played forty nine. Come on, Quad. No, I I know. That's why. Okay, okay, okay. Stop, stop, stop. (laughs) I can't do math, man. I just I asked how many, and Grady said forty nine. Anyways, um, can you imagine if Brock hit thirty and there were forty nine games left? I mean, that would be something special. Yeah. It was close. It was close to doing it. Uh, okay. 82 minus 49 is? Oh, I, I genuinely don't know. That's the thing. Like, I can't do it off the top of my head. Carmen, can you? I, I 33. I'm... I had calculator open. Okay, nice. let's move on. Okay. <laughs> let's continue to break down this game. But before we do that, I need to tell you that this game breakdown is brought to you by the Wendy's Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool game. Shots on goal, goals against average, and points per game can make or break your week, but don't overlook BPMM. Wendy's Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt. Sure, it may not help you win weekly prizes with Wendy's and Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool Fantasy, but unlike my predictions, it never disappoints. So try your luck, but don't push it because the Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt is only back for a limited time, and if you miss it, you won't get a second chance. Sign up for Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool Fantasy today, sponsored by Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Okay, I said it. 5-4 overtime victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Canucks are down 4-1 at the start of the third period. Your thoughts on the comeback? Honestly, that game, each period felt like a separate game. That's a great way to look at it. Tell me about each game, Harmon. So the first period was a complete domination by the Canucks in terms of how much time they spent in the offensive zone, especially that first 10, 15 minutes. It was, it was unbelievable how many looks they had, how many high danger chances. The Garland line was buzzing in particular. Uh, The fourth line had some good chances. The Miller line had some chances. It really felt like the Pedersen line was the only one that wasn't completely dominating, but the Canucks were unfortunate not to, have had a lead going into the first intermission. And look, sometimes that's going to happen because it's easy for us to look at that opening period and say, well, they needed to do a better job of finishing their chances. They missed a lot of their, cha- a lot of their looks wide. And while all of that is true, you have to keep in mind that the Canucks finishing is at a historically high rate. Finishing has not been a problem for this team at all. And if anything, it's going to happen from time to time that you dominate a period and occasionally, whether it's because of a hot goaltender, you don't get bounces, or you just flat out miss the net on a few occasions, you're not always going to get the goals you deserve. That hasn't happened often this year. That's something that, that the Canucks will need to sort of grapple with more often. We also saw it through the first 10 minutes of the St. Louis game, where they came out flying, didn't quite find a way to get a goal despite probably deserving one that's a trend to sort of keep in mind down the stretches it's great to have that first 10 to 15 minutes but if you aren't scoring in that stretch you got to make sure that you don't have a big drop off what are you doing in the minutes that follow yes which is what happened in the second period right the second period felt like watching last year's 
Canucks. The number of turnovers, self-inflicted mistakes. Patterson, of course, with a turnover on the offensive entry on the power play, which led to Texier shorthanded goal. JT Miller with the defensive zone giveaway. Plus, not just the giveaway, but when Jake Bean is skating right down the middle into the slot, Miller's recovery there was... Uh, was lackadaisical to put it nicely. I think Lachlan tweet. Lock, I think it was Lachlan that tweeted out that uh, Jake Bean saw that we left him off our 2016 redraft <laughs> top 15, and he took it personally. But yeah, sorry. Go on. Uh, JT Miller's bad coverage on that Jake Bean goal. Yeah, and then there was overall as well breakdowns in terms of defending the slot, which the Canucks have been really good about this year. There was one goal where the puck seemed to deflect off Bluger's stick, and we know Bluger's a, a great defensive player. That usually doesn't happen, but the puck did get through in that uh, situation, and, and it ended up in the back of the net uh, as well. Some penalty trouble to... Re- really, it felt like flashbacks to last year, and then the third period. I mean, the comeback, it was really important, similar to the Toronto game, where the top guys that weren't playing at their best Miller and Pedersen in particular are able to redeem themselves. I mean, on a couple of those goals, JT Miller was able to thread the needle with a couple of gorgeous cross scene passes, which has been massive for this power plays success is whether they're able to get those side to side um, looks through the middle that get the PK moving, get the goalie moving. Um, And of course, Pedersen as well, capping it off with the OT winner to close out uh, the comeback. I thought it was important for those guys to be the ones to drag the Canucks back out of the hole that they kind of dug uh, for themselves, because honestly, there would have been a lot of flack for, I think Patterson, especially given the number of turnovers he had felt like he was fighting the puck a little bit. I also think, and correct me if I'm wrong, we might've seen a shot of him icing his wrist um on the broadcast i was at the game i didn't notice it i saw uh, i believe a couple of people tweeting screenshots of that so that's um you know something that people were keeping an eye on as well and especially there was a little bit of an extra spotlight on patterson in light of talk it rightly saying that the team needed a little, a little bit more uh, out of him so for those guys to drag them back into um, that game i thought was uh, massive yeah the two goals for patterson including the overtime winner. I didn't realize how emotional Elvis Merzlikens is. Like he was, he he like had a diaper full the entire game. You didn't realize when he celebrated like he won the well, Stanley Cup. After I beating knew the that, but like the the monster coming out of me quote. Like that's when it started. That's when I started to re- kind of realize it. But then even this last game, you know, like he's yelling at defensemen. Um, you know, he's yelling for a kick. On Pedersen's, he's like, it was a kick. It was a kick. I think he's still diving right now to try to block <laughs> that Pedersen goal. Oh, Elvis. Like, what was he doing there? Well, he got tied up with his defenseman, which right. is why he was yelling. And it was Provorov. Provorov had an awful game, which I thought was great. But he was, like, barking at Ivan Provorov after that. I was just like, come Just on, the man. way he lunged at it. He was so out of position. Yeah, you're not having a good game, Elvis. Anyways, um, he's been that uh been that personality for a while though i remember i think it was either a year or two ago he's getting a lot of criticism from um latvians oh because something related with national team duties he didn't want to go to world championships or something well because archer Silovs was out playing him but go on 
And he did uh, an interview with uh, Aaron Portsline of the Athletic Covers of Blue Jackets, and he said something to the effect of he doesn't give an F about (laughs) the criticism or what people in that year are saying. And it's one thing to think that, but it's rare for a hockey player to uh, voice that in an interview. Dude, you got Archer Silovs leading Latvia to a bronze medal at Worlds. Where's Merzlikens? Nowhere to be found. They build a statue of Silovs outside the ice rink. Uh, and then he's like signing people's asses in Latvia. You've seen that, right? I didn't see those. You didn't see that? that? Okay, no. so we covered this very well at Cucks Army, <laughs> as I'm sure you could guess during the summer. They built a statue of the Latvian goal and it had Canucks gear on. So it wasn't really, it wasn't like an Archer Silov's bronze statue, but it was a like monument that they built outside of the Latvian ice rink and it was Silov's pads. So it technically it is a statue of Silov's. And then there was a thing later where he, po- I think he posted this on his Instagram story. Some fan asked him to sign his, his cheek, his rear, his, his butt, his butt cheek. And C-Love signed it and posed with it. C-Love's a man of the people. Then you've got Merzlikens, but I don't give an F. C-Love's gives an F. National treasure and Abbotsford treasure. Uh, Abbotsford plays on Friday. I'm going to be going out to the game. I'll have uh, coverage of that on Monday. Wow, the new Faber. That's right. I'm I'm actually going out with Faber. (laughs) I can't go alone. Come on. Um, Okay, there was something else I had here. Uh, Yes, okay, Thatcher Demko. I want to talk about this. Thatcher Demko, uh, 25 saves on 29 shots on 862 save percentage. I don't have a ton of problems with Thatcher Demko's game, but there were some Canucks fans in the Canucks Army comment section of my instant reaction piece saying, yeah, that's another bad game for Demko. And again... He's gotten his wins and he was getting his wins during December when his save, save percentage dipped, had a really strong month of January. But, you know, a, a couple performances that Canucks fans might look at and say, OK, I, I would have liked more in that game. But I just I, I, have, I have a hard time picking apart Demko's game because he made the saves when they count the most. So if, if players get get all this credit for they still found a way to win, they still found a way to eke out a victory. They weren't like the top six they weren't on their game the entire game but they they came alive in the third period i think you have to say the same thing about thatcher demko like i thought thatcher demko maybe didn't have the best first 40 minutes hardly faced any shots in the first 20 minutes but yeah maybe maybe not the best second period his team played like dog water in the second period so i look at that and i say okay well the canucks came alive in the third and so did thatcher demko demko was key to that victory so i again i know the save percentage isn't pretty and i know there's gonna be fans out there that have issue with the way he played in the second period but in a long season i know we're used to canucks goaltenders being locked in all the time but in a long season there's gonna be ups and downs for a goaltender and if those up and ups and downs are coming in the middle of games in the middle of january and they're not happening in the playoffs and they're not happening when the games really really matter then i think you live with that like i think you live with that i don't think it's worth getting up in arms about Thatcher Demko having a bad period or two here and there. He's still been one of the best goaltenders in the league. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's going to be him and Connor Hellebuck right down to the wire uh, for the Vesna trophy by the end of the year. Definitely. And as you referenced earlier, his January numbers as a whole have been really strong. So uh, yeah, definitely wasn't his best game against Columbus, but that was sort of the case for the entire team. Yeah. Also say this, I wanted to touch on the uh, penalty kill after the Canucks had come back five minute major First of all, I don't even think it's in the rule book. And I believe John <laughs> Shorthouse referenced this on the broadcast as well. I don't think you can review a major penalty for Ian Cole initially. And then 
end up giving that major penalty to a completely different player? <laughs> no. Th- that's I think that's just made up. No, they, they did make it up, but okay. I, I will also say he, Myers obviously deserved a penalty in that yeah, situation. This is this okay. And I'm, I'm just not, saying it's funny. Yeah, it's I'm, funny. You're right. It's funny. But I'm not and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to single anybody out. But my god, man. Post game. The media room. This isn't in the rule book. People reading the rule book. Who cares? Like, I'm sorry, I don't care. Well, hold Do on. This- hold on. If if this happens in the playoffs, you're you're telling me NHL referees at the highest level are just making things up that aren't in the rule book? Who cares? If they get the call right, who cares? I'm just saying that's not a level of professionalism. Hockey is the only sport where we're like, okay, oh, well then amend they the rules. Replay to get the the. Dude, that is clearly then just them I'm, forgetting to put that in the rules. I guarantee they'll add that Okay, in. well, if the NHL is really one of the top sporting leagues in in, in the world, is that it? should be... It, I mean, it's, it's yeah, one of the four yeah. major North sure. American sports. But, <laughs> dude, there's... Amend the rule book then. They, they will. They will, because everybody in Vancouver is crying about it. It didn't even matter. They got the call right. Okay, sure, but this is a mid. This is a game in January. Sure. What if this happens in the playoffs? It's an actual controversy. Is it a con? Okay, I guess the controversy Dude. is not in your rule book. Sure, sure. Okay, put it in the rules, Gary. Like, anyways, I'm not criticizing the refs. I'm just saying that should be patched in some way. The chat disagrees with me. Major quads L. They absolutely need to be following the rules. I guess that's a good take. The NHL should follow its own rule book. I guess that's like, a come fine on. This isn't beerly cocky. Nick, like, we're just Nick, like, just get it right. Nick P. This is worse than Netfront Myers. You can't just make up rules. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is great. Yeah, it shouldn't have been five. I, it should have been five, but Ian Cole talked about this post game. He was talking about what happened on that play where the ref yelled at him on the ice. was like, you're going in for five. And Ian was like, I didn't do anything. And then afterwards they asked him, they were like, why are you in the box again? He's like, cause you yelled at me to get in the box. And it was just, it was a really funny uh, thing that Ian Cole kind of opened up on post game. I'm not sure if the cameras were on him though, because there was a funny thing post game. Ian Cole is in the middle of doing his media veil. And then JT Miller walked out and PR <laughs> PR said, oh, we've got JT over here. And everybody, including the Canucks camera people, walked away from Ian Cole to go talk to JT. And then JT said, oh, no, I don't want to talk yet. I'll wait for him to be done. But then it was too awkward to go set back up. So Ian Cole just did the rest of his avail with, like, a couple of reporters there while the rest of us just stood and waited for JT. For the record, I wasn't on the Ian Cole scrum. I was standing off to the side by JT. Like, I was already there. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't one of the ones that vacated the Cole scrum. But anyways. Oh yeah, Myers got fined for that too. Yeah, yeah, five thousand, which but is the anyway, maximum allowable. The PK I wanted to say first of all, I think that's the first time in a long while that the Canucks are put in a precarious situation like that with the PK needing to hold the fort, and I've actually felt a level of confidence that they can get the job done. Mm-hmm. Now, part of it is Columbus; their power play sucks. So that definitely factored into it. But the other side of it has been just how well the PK has performed in January, plus the overall momentum it felt like the team had as a whole. And the key to that successful kill, I thought, was their ability to prevent Columbus from converting entry attempts into actually getting set up 
in the offensive zone. So I tracked the entries just because I had a gut feeling that this may be influential for the ultimate outcome of the five minute major. Columbus had nine offensive zone entry attempts only got a clean setup on three of them. Hmm. So, and you think about each unsuccessful setup attempt. So six of them Canucks get the clear and you're having to waste all that time going back. You, you shave off 20 to 30 seconds off the clock each time that happens. Who stood out for you in that game in, in that regard? Cause I thought Dakota Joshua had a really strong game when it came to getting those clears and I wasn't tracking it or anything, but if memory serves, Dakota Joshua was responsible for a lot of those. I thought it was um, credit to a bunch of guys. Like Joshua stood out, but also Suter, Patterson had a couple Jolson plays. Jolson had a really strong game, especially in that regard, I felt. Yeah, and I think the overall key for why they were so successful in that facet was Columbus couldn't enter through the middle. The Canucks were compact in their formation, holding the line. And so Columbus would have to enter the zone on the flanks and once they entered the zone on the flanks, the Canucks were able to anticipate that really well and go from their tight formation in the middle to spraying out wide. And the difference between the Canucks power play and Columbus's is that in those flank situations where you don't have a lot of time and space to make a play, somebody like Elias Pedersen, he can make that play in tight. And I actually highlighted on one of Vancouver's power play goals can't remember which one because there were three, but Pedersen on one of those entries in tight, in high traffic, under pressure, made a really poised play to get the Canucks set up, and the Canucks second moments later scored. Columbus doesn't have the high-end skill to do that, so they were forced to rim it around, and the Canucks then did a really good job of winning the races and battles when the puck was rimmed around. Hmm. <clears throat> what did you think of uh, Noah Juleson's game? thought he was effective. I, um, ever since he's entered the lineup, the first period in his first game back was maybe a little bit shaky, understandably, Mm -hmm. because he had had some time off, but otherwise he's been quiet. He's been steady. I, um, haven't noticed him for the wrong reasons. I've, um, continued to be impressed. Talkett spoke about him again, post game and spoke about the relationship with him and Adam foot, uh, and how Juleson's kind of like a sponge and how he takes that information and, it's interesting, man. It's really interesting. And second Adam Foote mentioned on this show today, uh, I, I'm interested to kind of find out what those guys have actually been learning and what the, you know, the actual putting it into practice looks like in terms of are you do, working on this stuff in practice? Is it just like a quick little adjustment that you can make? I'm interested. I'm interested in the things that uh, guys like Juleson have learned this season. Okay, let's, uh, do you have anything else on the game that you want to get to? My last thing was Demko. Nope, that's it. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's recap the month of January as a whole. And this segment is brought to you by our friends at Four Winds Brewing. Family owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Okay, the Canucks missed out on four points in the standings in the month of January. There was one regulation loss to the St. Louis Blues on January 4th and then two overtime losses to St. Louis and Columbus. But other than that, they've only missed out on four points in the month of January, and the wagon is just absolutely rolling heading into the All-Star break. This is the month that, for me, cemented the Canucks. A, is legit cup contenders. B, is a team that should be aggressive at the deadline. And C, considering Vegas's injuries and LA's slide, really cemented the Canucks as favorites to win the Pacific Division. What do you think of the Edmonton Oilers? Like, I know they're frauds, but what do you think about them? I think they're legit cup contenders. I was a little worried about them, obviously, at um, at the start of the year when everything was going wrong, especially with their goaltending situation. Sure. But Skinner's got a save percentage that's above 930 in... I mean, in his last 21 or 22 games yeah. was uh, was what I checked. McDavid and Drysaddle look like McDavid and Drysaddle again, which is notable because I feel like a big reason why McDavid was struggling early is because he's clearly playing through injury. Same thing with Ekholm. He missed a big chunk of Edmonton's training camp in preseason mm-hmm. with a hip flexor injury. Came back too early. Came I back think. too early. Yeah. And we saw that against um, the Canucks where he just didn't look like himself. Yeah. And that had such a rip, rippling effect on Evan Bouchard, who was awful defensively to start the season. He's probably had the biggest 180-degree turnaround yeah. in terms of an in-season improvement because since then, he's been one of the best defensemen in the NHL. That D pair, Ekum Bouchard, has gone from being one of the worst D pairs in the NHL for the first few games to now one of the best D pairs in the NHL. That makes a massive difference. So when you have goaltending that's back on track and keep in mind that Stuart Skinner was pretty solid in the regular season last year Mm -hmm. as well you suddenly have a dominant defense pair which was also dominant down the stretch after the Oilers initially acquired at home where after the deadline I think they only had five regulation losses going into the playoffs something uh something along those lines they were on an absolute heater like they are right now um plus this isn't a case of, yeah, McDavid and Dreisel have been really good and the power play has been clicking, but it's not like they're carrying the team on their own. A, a big reason for their success right now is teams aren't scoring on them, which early in the season and in the context of discussing them as potential cup contenders was the biggest flaw was, okay, hey, sure, you've got this elite power play. You've got McDavid and Dreisel. 
unbelievable. But how are you going to win a cup when you defend that poorly mm-hmm. and when you don't have any goaltending? They've fixed those things. And obviously with Knobloch coming in, their rush defense has considerably improved. So yeah, I think they're a legit threat. And that's why a few weeks ago I was saying it would suck for Vancouver to be in a position where they win the division and end, and end up playing Edmonton in the wildcard. People saying, oh, bring Edmonton on. And sure, I mean, I'm not scared of Edmonton, but I'd much rather play another team. And, and that's certainly what it looks like right now with um, Edmonton surging up the standings. They're going to finish somewhere in the top three in the Pacific. And yeah, I, I do think with how hot they've been lately, plus them down the stretch having an easier schedule than Vancouver in terms of the quality of teams they're going to play. It's not something I'm worried about yet, but yeah, they're a legit threat behind the Canucks in this Pacific division race. It's not anyone else yet. We'll get to it, but this comment from Pimpan Strong said, I'm afraid I think the Oilers are going to win the Pacific. Canucks schedule is about to get tough. Um, And of course, whatever happens in the trade deadline is going to impact these two teams for sure. But yeah, I think you look at it and say, okay, Edmonton just went on this absolute heater where they've won 16 straight. How many more points did they get than the Canucks? Like that was the thing that kept flashing on my screen is the Canucks stood or were like right there with them when the Oilers were winning all these games. It's just the Canucks didn't do it as flashy because they had those overtime losses, but they played some games on the road. And obviously that overtime loss in Columbus can largely be attributed to them just completely running out of gas after a really tough travel from Buffalo. Um So I just look at it and I say, like, they're right there still. And the Oilers aren't going to win games like this for the entire season. I think the Oilers face some soft teams during this win streak. I don't know, man. I I, I think they're a threat. I don't know if I'm willing to say, yeah, I think they're going to I think they're going to take down the Canucks for top spot in the Pacific. I really don't think we're there yet. I'm not worried about it yet, but they're the biggest threat to me. Oh, absolutely. It's not Vegas. They've they've also got four games in hand. So that's something to keep in mind. Plus, Edmonton's always been a team, if you look at the past at least couple seasons, that start slow and absolutely turn it on down the stretch. If you'll remember Jay Woodcroft's first first, uh, season when he took over mid-year, Edmonton wasn't even in a playoff spot. And they were unbelievable down the stretch. Obviously, then made the conference final where they lost to Colorado, who, who ended up winning the Stanley Cup, the, Cup that year. And then last season as well, I, of course, referenced their crazy record. They were, I think, the hottest team in the NHL going into the playoffs. Oh, yeah. So th- this team has a history of being able to turn it on in the second half. They've already turned it on, so that's something I'm absolutely uh, watching for. People in chat... Bring it on Edmonton. People want to see Edmonton. Well, I'll say this. If the Canucks win uh, win the Pacific, they play a wildcard team early on. Let's say they win that. And then they play Edmonton. That's a favorable situation because chances are Edmonton will face what a team like Vegas. And if yeah. Vegas is healthy again, like that's going to be a bloodbath of a series, even if Edmonton were to come out on uh, on top that's going six seven games that's gonna be heavy that's gonna be physical that's really gonna wear uh whichever team comes out of that matchup alive whereas again if you're the canucks and you end up playing a wildcard team whether it's la or i think st louis is in a wildcard spot now mm-hmm. and of course it's ironic because st louis has had uh the canucks number a little bit lately but yep. they're not a 
they're not a good team to me. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Especially relative to these other competitors. I'm not buying the Blues as a team that the Canucks should be scared of at all. There's a path there for the Canucks where, again, if they can hopefully close out the division division um, lead there, even if they play a hard opponent in round two, they may be the fresher, more rested team. Okay. Uh, Grady, start getting some anyone else's in our little private chat here uh, because I like this one from Logan Van Dyke that we're going to get to in anyone else. But before we do that, we need to do a word from our new sponsor a new sponsor harm seagram's seagram's <laughs> vo select canadian whiskey artfully blended and impeccably crafted make it your very own originally introduced back in the early 1900s seagram's vo was designed as a wedding gift from joseph e seagram for his son Joseph E. Seagram liked it so much, he put it out on the market, and the rest was history. Seagram's VO went on to become one of the most successful whiskeys to ever come from Canada. Seagram's VO Select is currently available in select BC liquor stores, so visit Seagram's VO Select on the BC Liquor Store's website to purchase or find it in your nearest liquor store. My family's very own whiskey. Barrel-aged and set apart. Marked with VO, artfully blended, impeccably crafted, as a wedding gift to my son, for the bride and groom. And now, over a century later, from our very own family to yours, a legacy rooted in whiskey. Seagram's VO, growing deeper, reaching out, raising a glass to your legacy. Seagram's VO, make it your very own. That was our new sponsor, Seagram's VO, make it your very own i'm realizing now that's what vo might mean all right now it's time for anyone else presented by doordash it's our listeners chance to get involved and hit us up in the youtube live chat and it's also our listeners chance to get 25 percent off and zero delivery fees on their first order of 15 dollars or more that's right for a limited time our listeners can get 25 percent off and zero delivery fees on their first order of 15 dollars or more when they download the doordash app and enter code nation 25 that's all capital letters nation and the numbers two five offer value in canada subject change terms do apply use double dash folks order for multiple restaurants or stores in the same delivery without additional delivery fees so everyone can get what they want and need all right let's get to the uh let's get to anyone else let's see what we got in the chat here what's this one i read it from logan van Dyke. i gotta scroll up okay vancouver versus seattle first round is what i'm hoping for me too logan you know why you know how cheap it is to travel from Vancouver and Seattle? Like, we'd be at every game. We'd be on the road for that playoff series. Oh, my gosh. We would be doing shows from Seattle. That would – I'm hoping. The, the dream scenario for me, Vancouver-Seattle, first round. Then you get Edmonton-Vancouver, second round. And then I don't care who you play in the third and fourth I, round. I'm sorry. I do not want to cover a playoff series in Edmonton. Whatever. You'd be I nice. Would rather, I would rather – dude. That's Nation HQ, like man. LA or something. Yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> well, you want to spend more time than necessary? Well, Edmonton? I'm just saying, I think it'd be fun to be, you know, we'd bring Aaron back on the show. We'd have all the oily boys. There's no Kings Nation, you know? There's no Nation Network site that we could pull people from to talk about the LA Kings. I think it'd be fun. Oilers Nation versus Canucks Army. It'd be fun, but... I mean, Edmonton, it... Edmonton, fun, kind of, yeah. Wait, wait, Edmonton, yeah. Wait, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so I like that comment. Thanks, Logan. Uh, this one from Wallach. 
What do you think of sophomore slumps with someone like Kuzmenko? Is it really just adjusting to being notable and noticed? Feels like that and swapping from east-west to north-south are overlooked. Yeah, definitely. I think, look, when you enter the NHL, there's no book on you if you're Kuzmenko. Nobody has an idea of how you create offense. And we saw him get so many open looks on the back door. I mean, how many tap-ins did he have last season? Well, teams are obviously scouting that now and under and understood heading, heading into the season that, hey, this guy scored 39 goals last year. If you see this guy on the back door, keep, keep your eyes peeled, yeah. right? Whereas last year, defensemen are so occupied, preoccupied with, okay, we got to shut Pedersen down. And you don't know who this Kuzmenko guy is. For, for all you know, he's never been in the league before. He may not even be a good finisher. He, he may finish like Ilya Mikheyev for all, for all they know, right? So there's more of a focus, I think, not on him, but just, hey, don't leave the back door open when this line is on the ice, um, especially on the power play as well. Second, as, um, as a commenter mentioned as well, yeah, I mean, the Canucks prioritizing a north-south style does not, suit Kuzmenko's mm-hmm. game he likes to make east west plays and then third I mean honestly part of it is just shooting percentage regression guys scored on 27 yep. percent of his shots last year I think it's the highest shooting percentage any NHL player had had in a full season since 2000 yeah we a high shooting percentage is always unsustainable but when you looked at how much higher Kuzmenko was than the other highest in the NHL it was ridiculous like it wasn't Second place, there was like three guys around 14% last season. And then Kuzmenko was just way above all of them. Like, I think Mark Shifley finished like a 14.7 or something like that. And he had a great season as well. But anyways, um, yeah, sophomore slump's real, folks. It is real. I still think you movement the deadline. Like, I still think yeah. you have to. It's not a just wait for him to figure it out. I think if the Canucks weren't competitive right now and they weren't in this cup contending window that they've now forced open, and you, you really, we've talked about how they really do need to go for it this year you don't have time to wait for a guy to figure it out. And they, they really don't have time to wait for Andre Kuzmenko to figure it out just with where they are as a team. Okay. People are saying, what about, Oh yeah. Logan Van Dyke, Vancouver versus Winnipeg conference final. Winnipeg's not as bad in like May, June. I'll say this. It'd be entertaining hockey and all Canadian yeah. co- conference final would be a blast. I think I'm just sick of Edmonton in particular because Trance sends me out there on the road every year. <laughs> but then you get to go with me because that's the only trip I go on. True, but I'm tired of the one Boston pizza. Edmonton. The West Edmonton Mall Harvey's. Oh, dude. I had it's... a great time. I talked about Harvey's before. I had a great time at Harvey's. I understand why Kuzmaker did not pick Edmonton. <laughs> Honestly, one time oh. is all you need for Edmonton. Never go back there again. Calgary is far, far superior, and I don't even like Calgary that much. Is it really that much superior? I think so. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Dude, did I tell you the story of uh, that road trip? So I have a friend that, one of my close friends that lives in Calgary. There was an off night Friday. So we were like, okay, like, I haven't seen my friend in so long. Let's go out, right? I We message people that live that, that we know that no Edmonton, no spots around. And they're like, oh, yeah, visit this one spot. It's the only spot that might might have um anything going on on friday night so we go there and i swear there were more staff than there were customers in in that um in that where was it wait it was are they a sponsor 
I don't think so. What is it? Uh, Church of John's. Not a sponsor. Yeah, so it was it was also supposed to be like a special night because <laughs> Nas's official DJ was DJing and there were zero people on the dance floor literally so we immediately left and we're like wow Edmonton sucks they just are hiring uh plants like the Canucks do for their game game presentation I'll also say this so I the athletics uh player poll is going to come out this later this week and so we've done a lot of um polling not just of Canucks players but when road teams come in, uh, talking to other players and asking anonymous questions, and one of them is least favorite road city. And uh, let me tell you, Edmonton's been getting some votes. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one from Pim Pan Strong again. The Canucks should look closely at David Juracek, and then if he falls, unite him with his brother Adam in the upcoming draft. So over the weekend, this came out from your colleague, uh, Aaron Portsline over at The Athletic in Columbus, talking with David Juracek. Juracek saying he thinks he deserves to be in the NHL, pointing to some guys from his draft class, like Nemich, who's getting time in New Jersey. And, you know, you look at how Columbus is playing right now, and you have to think, yeah, there's probably a spot for David Juracek on that blue line. But again, this is what happens when you tie yourself to Ivan Provorov. Ivan Provorov's probably, you know, he's probably better than how he's playing right now. But like Eric Goodbranson, they signed him to a long-term deal. Now he's blocking a guy who should be in the NHL and is now saying publicly, I should be in the NHL and I'm not where I want to be right now. That's what happens when you make moves like that, where you go sign the Erica Branson's to long-term, what was he, four by four? Yeah, it was something ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But not just good Branson, but also these other mediocre defensemen that at some point you, you need to cut bait on. Yeah. Uh, they've got Andrew Peake. They've got uh, Adam Boakvist, Jake Bean. None of those guys are ever going to turn into top four defensemen. They're not moving the needle, and David Yurchik might move the needle right now more than those guys, and he is certainly going to move the needle more than those. Oh, I shouldn't say certainly, but there's a much higher probability of him being a real impact top-pairing defenseman at the NHL level in his career than there is any of those guys that you just mentioned. So it's, it's, a, it's a mess out in Columbus. And honestly, honestly, I, I'm kind of at the point where you know, before and other markets did this, you would think of like the worst GM in the league and it was it was quite clearly Jim Benning. But now, like Jarmo Kekalainen might be one of the worst GMs in the league, if not the worst. Gotta be up there. Because, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but if you had an award, because they have an award for top GM, if you had one for the worst GM in the league, first ballot, Jim Benning's winning that every year that he was in power, except for, that one season, 2019-20, that was the only year where people thought Jim Benning was a good GM. They might name the award the Jim Benning yeah? Award. Yeah, maybe. And not to pick on Jim Benning, but... That's mean, guys. Whatever. I, again, <laughs> not, not, to, not to pick on Jim. He was, he was a good guy. He just wasn't a good general manager, and I think everybody knows that. Yeah. Pim has strong in the chat. Anyone else? How does Yarmo Kekalainen still have a job? I'm literally at the point now where I'm starting to ask that, where... Ask John Davidson that. Other markets ask that about Jim Benning for years. They were like, how does this guy still have a job? Now we're at that point, I think, with Jarmo Kekline, where other markets are going to look at it and say, what is happening right now in Columbus? It's a mess. And, and let's not forget, he was the one who hired Mike Babcock before the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I now like they, Jarmo. like, Johnny Gaudreau, how many suitors are you finding for him? Oh, man, Johnny Gaudreau is just like, and not to pick on anybody, but man... I, I think he is the perfect example of somebody that was like, yeah, I just want to get, I just want to get paid and I'm just done. I'm done trying. <laughs> like okay. I'm, I'm, I'm done trying. Like Louis Erickson, 
signs i'm done trying i'm done trying i got my bag i'm done i just want to go somewhere quiet somewhere i'm not going to get a ton of spotlight on me and i'm just done playing hockey Gaudreau just looks so disinterested he was pretty good last year but you're right he's been awful this year yeah anyways and why would like it, it goes back to that conversation you and i had last week harman about the canucks where it was like if guys aren't buying in and they know they're not going to do anything as a collective they're going to start playing more selfishly Couple that with the fact that he's already paid, right? You're gonna reach all new levels of selfishness. So you got PL PL Dubois, and then yeah. Johnny Gaudreau number two is is uh, the quads hater board. I like good. I loved Gaudreau during his years in Calgary, though. I just think I just think right now it really yeah. looks like a guy who got paid, and he's like, oh man, hockey was such a hard sport to play. I'm so glad it's so easy now. You hate Line A because he played too many video games, and it ruined his development. And now he's just that meme assistant. I sent you guys. I should put it in work. No, I didn't so see. Good. No, you did. You reacted to it. I, it was the, there what are was two it? wolves inside of you. Oh, meme. yeah. You remember that? You should start Jets putting fans, more things in the work tape. By the Jets way. fans are talking about uh, reuniting with Line A. Oh, so there's yeah. one one wolf that says Line A hasn't played a full season in years due to injuries and his defensive game needs work. And most importantly, his cap is too high and would be nearly impossible to work with. And then the other wolf was just saying power play clap bombs. Uh, and Patrick Lyon, we should also mention, uh, has checked himself into the NHL player assistance program. He opened up on social media uh, saying he needed to take some time to focus on his mental health. So, of course, as much as we like to joke on this show, all the best to Patrick Lyon, who's taking a leave of absence from the Columbus Blue Jackets right now. Okay, uh, Jeremy Lee, do you think it's a general manager technique to chase after a low-hanging fruit like Lindholm, but instead choose another player on the same team? i.e. Coleman he's a high plus player Coleman's interesting I think just because I think he might have I'm looking it up right now I think he might have some level of trade protection as well yeah how much is left on that contract I just remember when that contract got signed I said ah that's not gonna age well yeah so he's got a full no trade clause Yes, he has a full no-trade clause. 10-team trade list starting next season. He's got three years after this one at $4.9 million. So, yes, full no-trade. You have to get him to waive if you're going to move him if you're Calgary. Yeah, he's been really good this year. He's got, what, 40 points in 49 games, already, already up to 20 goals. But he's also 32 years old mm-hmm. and has never been this type of player before. Like, the year before, he had 38 points in a full 82 games. The year before that, he had 33 points in 81 games. I still look at Coleman as more like the perfect third line player rather than a true bona fide Mm. top six play driver and producer. I just think that's the role he was best served in when he was on Tampa. And for that reason, especially with the, all that term left on his contract, the fact that it'll turn 33 by the start of next season, you probably stay away from the Canucks. This one from Pim Hamstrong again. Could Adam Fantilli be the solution to the Canucks 2C issues? Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> now he's claiming it's a joke. Well, obviously well, it's yeah, a joke. Yeah, it's obviously a joke. You, you never know, though, in the chat. Oh, Grady. <laughs> Joel Erickson, get it going, Taj. Get Fantilli and Joel well, Erickson honestly, here. I, I don't know what Taj has done. I've seen <laughs> multiple Canucks fans in my mention, and I don't know if they're serious or joking at this point. <laughs> Saying that Rutherford should go get Crosby. <laughs> Just like, come on, guys. Oh, man. Tosh-ception. Tosh-ception. Goodness. Uh, okay. 
<clears throat> what do we got here? Yeah, let's close it out there. Let's just close out anyone else. We got a few here. Oh, actually, Sino Chick asked this. Can you talk about Tockett starting PD with Hoaglander and Lafferty and then switching to the two Russians? I just think he wanted some energy to start the game, and I think he just said to Hoaglander and, and Lafferty, like, hey, you guys get moving north-south to start this game. And another thing to note is that Columbus would have submitted their lineup first, so maybe maybe Tockett just looked at it and said, yeah, I'd like these two guys on the wing rather than Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, who have not been playing very well. Do you late. think it was a bit of a reward for Hoggy to be like, hey, you've played really well? You're going to start with Elias and then maybe perhaps get Petey moving his feet a bit because he's playing with two, you know, guys that can motor. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, maybe. He has been playing well. Um, yeah, I don't know. What did you think of Hoglander in Columbus or against Columbus? I'm trying to think. It's been a couple of days, so I, I, wa- I want to look back at my notes here. I, I noted that he was very good on the forecheck. Yes, he forechecks like he's been shot out of uh, the Columbus uh, cannon that they have at Nationwide Arena. <laughs> Seriously, the the way that he can fight through checks, it, it's the same with Garland, right? These guys go into battles against defensemen who are so much bigger and stronger. You you If you're in the defenseman's position with one of those undersized wingers going at you, you expect that you're going to win that battle. And yet they somehow fight through the check get the puck that must be infuriating as hell to play against. Oh, for sure. Uh, can we pull that Twitter comment back up here, Grady? Yeah. Okay. Kempner Canucks on Twitter asked us, what if the Canucks don't need a trade? They are the best team in the league. I just look at it and say, and I'm working on this for Canucks army and I shouldn't announce my articles cause I never do them on time, but I'm working on something where I'm looking at the actual expendable assets that they have the different tiers of like values that those guys would have. And your colleagues put together something about an Elias Lindholm trade package. And they, they threw out for the Canucks. That's the only one we'll focus on is Andre Kuzmenko, Niels Huglander. Did they throw Huglander in there? They did. Okay. Niels Huglander first. I, I think I would, I would disagree with that one because the way I'm looking at it is don't touch the current roster because they are first in the league. So similar to what you're saying, Kempner, but I think you have the assets in Abbotsford and with your draft capital to make this team even better for a playoff run. Cause it's not about being first in the NHL. That's great. But what are you going to do in the playoffs? Is this team deep enough to go on a deep playoff run? I would say there's room for improvement with this team and that another trade could really make them from, you know, already being in that conversation with cup contenders, but really cementing themselves as, okay, this is a team that their expectations should be to go deep in the playoffs. And I think that's what you want at this point. Yeah, I mean, if your lineup is forward lineup is healthy outside of Phil D. Giuseppe, and at this point you have Ilya Mikheyev, Andre Kuzmenko, and for as well as Pia Suter has played, if you have all three of those guys in your top six, you need reinforcements if you're planning on going uh, on a deep playoff run. Because guess what? Injuries will probably happen. And if you're already in a spot where you have three of those guys in the top six role, I think you're thin there. Yeah, uh, left y'all around in the chat. Said top six forward would be nice, but what do they give away for this? Is the question. I think, I think you could probably get Elias Lindholm, and again, it doesn't even have to be Lindholm because he hasn't played super well as of late. Like you could get like a legit top six forward on the trade market. You just look at what Bo Horvat went for last year, and yes, a little bit of a different market this year. The prices are probably going to be a little bit higher. But you look at what they gave up. Like, Aturatu could probably be a part of a trade and be a valuable piece. Vasily Pakolzin still has the first-round pick, 
you know, headline attached to him. And maybe there's a team out there that says, yeah, this guy could either play in our middle six right now, or he might be able to be a top six forward for us one day. It's worth taking a shot on for this guy that we're not going to be able to resign. We like it more than what we're being offered. That's all it takes is you just have to have the best offer. And if there's not like, when you look at the LA Kings, right? Like, are they going to be looking at loading up at the deadline? Probably not. Whereas they might've, if they were a top three Pacific team, but now with the way they've fallen off, Again, things can change, but if they still haven't fired their coach, you're running out of time. Like you're running out of time for that turnaround where you can see for a couple of weeks under a new coach that, yeah, our team's playing great. We want to aid them into a, a strong playoff run. I don't think LA is going to be super active at the trade deadline, at least at this juncture. I don't think so. Yeah. And this year's first round pick, I think makes sense as a logical potential centerpiece for a trade if the right opportunity comes up. Yeah. Go get him. Adam Fantilli. And Joel Eriksenak and Sidney Crosby. But there is something to be said, though, about messing with team chemistry and not tinkering too much, uh, whether that's trading roster players or, you know, someone like Hoglander. Like, look at the Bruins last year. I don't think they traded many roster players, but they brought in Bertuzzi and Orlov, and they're out in the first round. So, you know, that's got to be the kind of what... Yeah. Rutherford and Alvin are thinking is like, how much do we really want to mess with this group? Well, I, just, I say not at all. Like, that's what I've been yeah. saying for the past month. And for I stand sure. by it is don't touch the actual roster, which is why when I see trade packages that have Hoaglander involved, I'm usually yeah. like, uh, I probably wouldn't take Nils Hoaglander off this team. I, I, I wouldn't take anybody off this team with the exception of like Kuzmenko. Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know we saw Nikita Zadorov's name get thrown out there. Dan Milstein uh, uh, pretty quickly was like, I don't think, so I don't think Nikita's getting traded. That would no. be something if we saw Zadorov traded twice in the same season. But um, Zidor- they're going to need Zadorov size and minutes come playoffs. Yeah, time. like he hasn't been playing particularly Unless well. Unless it's an absolutely home run upgrade, you're like, okay, fine yeah. to make the salary work. But I mean, how often does that really come along? Yeah, like I don't think Zadorov's been playing particularly well the last month. But he's still thrown some huge hits and been an intimidating force on yeah. the back end, oh, which yeah. is something you need in the playoffs. Yeah, the only scenario would be if, and this is an outlandish scenario, is if the Canucks thought to themselves, we're really going all in and we want to add a bona fide top six forward and we want to add a bona fide top four defenseman uh, like Chris Tanev. Yeah. And if we're going to make both of those additions, then in addition to Andre Kuzmenko, we would need to move out a defenseman who makes money. So whether that would be Myers or whether that would be Zadorov, you would need to move out that type of contract to make the salary cap potentially work. But again, that that that's an outlandish yeah. scenario. I'd be surprised. Or two, that. maybe they've kicked around some preliminary discussions, and his demand is what I think what was floated out earlier. This five year. by five, five by five. Like I'm yeah. sorry, but that you let the player walk at that point. Now perhaps they think, well, if we can flip him an upgrade then. But again, it seems very I think, unlikely. I think he's draws too important yeah. for a playoff push. So yeah. with what you're saying, and what you're saying is correct, Harmon. What you're saying is absolutely correct. That if you want to go make those two moves, you're going to have to... Like, if you want to upgrade two positions at the deadline, top six forward and a top four defenseman, yeah, you're going to have to rip some salary. You're right. You're probably... You're, 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 you're right. You're, you are very correct on that. I just think then, okay, just go get the top six forward then. Yeah, I agree. With I think you. you need the top six forward a lot more than you need any help on the defensive end. And I think there's some people in the chat as well um, saying, yeah, you don't need to upgrade the defense. Just keep the defense the way it is. Go get that top six forward. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We're going to have a lot of time uh, to talk about it as we approach the March 8th trade deadline, a little over a month 
away. But for now, let's get to our Betway Bet of the Day as we get ready to close out Monday's episode. Tomorrow, All-Star Draft. Going to be a good time. Okay, let's pull up our Betway Bet of the Day. Brought to you by our friends over at Betway. Brady Kachuk. To score a goal tonight against the Nashville Predators, Ottawa's at home. A $10 bet at plus 140 odds returns you $24 over at Betway. Must be 19 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Brady Kachuk. And people in chat are talking about my wagon ducks. Go get uh, Adam Henrique and Ilya Labushkin. Not to damage the way they don't need Labushkin. No, they don't need Labushkin. Not Frank Petrano for your quads. Who's that? Who's the guy? What's what's the guy's name? The really good defenseman. Yeah, go get him. Yeah, because they trade him. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. My wagon ducks. You're gonna assemble a team with Fantilli and (laughs) Minchikov, Erickson Eck. You know, I was I. So I'm writing this trade tiers thing. And I, I, I have a line in there that I'm working on. I'm just begging people to lose this idea that Canucks fans have had for years where they go, the plan, simple. Trade all the bad players and get good players in return. It doesn't work that way. You can't just have whoever you want. Sometimes you have to give up something good. Raymond something Ballard good. in a second. Yeah. For the OG throwbacks. Yeah. People are, yeah, the Stockholm Syndrome is, is very real. And it was very real during the bang regime. And I still think there's some remnants of that. Uh, in the market still it's just you see it on twitter and anyways i don't want to get into it tomorrow all-star draft gonna be a good time i'll have tate mccray with me as my co-captain uh you got michael buble yeah yeah michael buble there you go who today by the way yeah i saw this yesterday mm. he's 48 years old i did not think he was 48 years old who buble yeah he's 48 he looks a lot younger doesn't he, he does look a lot younger Good Cosmetics, plastic surgery, man. I don't think do so. Wonders. I don't think he. I don't think he has surgery. He just keeps good himself in good care, perhaps. Yeah, I think he. Uh, Little Botox. I just assumed he was in his like early thirties yeah, or something. I don't think it's all the bubblies. I don't think he's had work done. He, he he lost some weight. I remember he was a little heavier. Lost some weight. You know, I really liked, and I don't want to get in my Michael Bublé face here, but I really like him as an artist and like. The music videos that he does, I really like those. There's a lot of thought process that goes into them. Like, uh, he has a song called, um, why can't I remember the title? Uh, I'll Never Not Love You. It's a new one that he made. And basically... Can you start singing it for us? No, no, no. People know it. His, what was his... Damn, why can't I remember the titles? There was an old song that he filmed, filmed at Killarney Market, quite famously, big music video. His biggest song. What's Michael Bublé's biggest song? I don't know. I don't listen to Michael Bublé. I listen Bublé. to Michael Bublé, and I'm, I'm appalled that I don't know this off the top of my head. But And you Come feel free on. to clip this, Grady. You feel free to clip, clip this. But anyways, he did it at Killarney Market, and his wife, who's an actress, was in the music video. And then he went and re- basically did a remake or reimagining of that music video. And now he's got the kids, right? Like he had kids in, in the, his kids in the video. It was really cool. It was really cool. I did a horrible job explaining it. But it was really cool. I like I like Michael Bublé. I never listened to Tate McRae's music. I listened to some over the weekend. Couple couple banger songs in there. I'm not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, which one did you like the most? Greedy. Greedy is so good. That, that's the one that Hockey Pretty Night in Canada has been playing for the past I know. four weeks. Like four weeks in a row, Hockey Night in Canada has been playing it. It's been... uh, 10:35 is not bad either. Mm, yes, I, I like the more up tempo. Yeah, yeah. The other ones seem to be like break up, like more mellow songs. Sure, that's sure. not my vibe. Yeah, but. Those other two, Greedy's Greedy good. and 1035. X's is good, too. I think I briefly listened to that. Don't okay. think I... I'll sing it for you as soon as we sign off. Perfect. Here. Which we should do now. Yes, For my co-host, Harmon <laughs> Dial, 
protective producer Grady Sass, and our intern Lachlan Irvin. My name is David Cudrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.